Hi, this is the Robberator, and you can support my mad grab for power and the Sword and Laser podcast by going to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. In fact, this week, it's a lot more because you're also listening to Reading Glasses, the show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer, Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Brea Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode is a special super combo episode, and we bring you news from the world of science fiction and fantasy. And awesome discussions from fans just like you! Yay! The combo! Love it. So, ladies, welcome to Sword and Laser World. We always kick things off, of course, with a what are we drinking segment. I know you guys also do a segment like this as well. What are we reading? Yes, we do. We do. What are we reading? And it's perfect because those are the two activities that I do the most. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) The perfect combination. Samesies. This week I am, well, right now I am drinking uh, Eagle Rare bourbon on the rocks which is one of my one of my new favorite bourbons and i am reading the brand new david lynch memoir room to dream co-written with Kristen mckenna it is everything that i hoped it would be it's just david lynch's life and david lynch being david lynch and i love it i saw him recently in san francisco talking about transcendental meditation he's He's into it he's he's kind of into it (laughs) Biggest understatement of the year, but he's very, very into it. And his last book, Catching the Big Fish, was more uh, focused on that, on TM. This is more of just like his, his life, stories of his life from the people that he's close to and people that he's worked with and him reflecting on that. But if you're a Lynch fan, it, I totally, totally recommend it. Awesome. And Bria? Um, I'm drinking something that Mallory made. Mallory panicked at the last minute and was like, I got to make drinks. And mine is non-alcoholic and I think it has grapefruits in it. Yeah. Am I correct? So I mean, I just made Bria sort of a non-alcoholic cocktail of uh, different juices and bitters and uh, simple syrups that I had and just mixed a bunch of things that were going to taste good together. Tastes fantastic. And um, I am reading... I've been so I took a break from the book I was reading to finish the book that we're talking about today, Mortal Engines. But I w- I was reading and I went back to it this morning. Um, Catherine Valente's Space Opera. How is that? I've got that next on my list. It's fantastic. It's really, really, really entertaining. But it is. It's not a quick read. It's funny. Like I thought I'd be able to like just tear through it, and it's taken me. I mean, I generally read, a, you know, about a book a week or so. And I may, I mean, I did take a break to read the book that we were talking about tonight. But um, but yeah, it's great. It's really fun. She is such a world builder. She is a great talent. I'm a big fan of her. So yeah, I, you'd love it. I, you guys should do it for the show. It's so good. We did Radiance and I absolutely adored that book. So I'm really looking forward to Space Opera. Yeah. All right, Tom. What about you? Yeah. Uh, well, I kind of like Bria. I took a break to read Mortal Engines uh, and have now gone back to the book I was reading before that, which is the sequel to another book that we read. Uh, I'm reading For We Are Many from the Bobiverse, uh, the We Are Legion, We Are Bob, and I'm drinking uh, Templeton Rye, the good stuff. Ooh, nice. I am also drinking the good stuff tonight, and I did it kind of like thematically in a way. So I was looking through my alcohol collection. I was trying to find something, you know, 
London-esque, perhaps. Uh, something mm. to go with the book a little bit. Something made out of mud. Oh, actually, that would have been really funny because I had some Baileys and I was like, how can I, can I make something with Baileys? But if I had mixed it with like chocolate chips, I could have made like a muddy, oh, a wow. muddy milk or like invented something to like be dirty. Oh, Veronica's mud milk. <laughs> 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 the mutters from Firefly meet uh, the mortal engine. I was not that clever, and instead, I reached for the Macallan rare cask because I was like, "Why are you laughing?" Instead of mud, I went instead to the super mud, top shelf scotch, the most expensive <laughs> scotch I own, and I did that because I was like, you know, London, as we will get to, kind of the bad guy in the book. So I wanted something Scottish to kind of mm. say "fuck you." <laughs> There you go. That's good. So that's what I went with. Um, And I am reading, uh, you know, ever since uh, Vaginal Fantasy ended, I've had a lot more time to kind of read other books outside of genre fiction because I've got my sword and laser pick for the month. And then I usually read the Vaginal Fantasy pick. But now I'm kind of moving into nonfiction. And so I picked up uh, Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind, what the new science of psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. And it's amazing it's so good yeah i, I love that michael Tom- pollen took a, like a hard left turn yeah. like yeah. he was like he was like i was writing about being like eating good foods but now i'm gonna write, write about psychedelics yeah yeah my partner just finished reading that and it's he, he absolutely loved it and i he's like well why wouldn't you get get old and like fuck it you know oh wait can we swear you know i do occasionally i think it's fine i already Veronica said it on the show so, so, yeah. so yeah i already kind of <laughs> went that route it's the mccallan <laughs> talking i guess Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you become an old person, just like, why not do some drugs? See what it does to your brain. Well, I really, cause kind of his journey, I think was the most interesting part for me because I'm, I'm still only about 70% of the way through. Um, but he, he basically says that he's like, I'm a 50 something year old guy. Like I've never done anything like this before. I'm very set in the way that my mind works. It's on a track. It follows those same treads, you know, almost in every decision that I make. So is there a way that I can change my perspective and actually see things in a different way and see if it sticks. Um, But I also thought that it was really cool that there was all this science and medical studies going on around the world of uh, psilocybin and LSD and all these chemicals like back in the in the in the 50s and 60s. Oh, yeah. And it all basically got shot down because of, you know, Timothy Leary and kind of publicizing it and popularizing it. And then the medical community was like, oh, this is a counterculture thing. Like we got to shut this down. And so now it's kind of coming back into the medical community as and, and some doors are being opened there <laughs> for helping a lot of really um, incredible things some doors of perception (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah so that that that's what i've been picking up and it's it's really cool but i also have to say i really enjoyed mortal engines um, which we're going to be talking about a little bit later in the episode so everyone let's now hold on i want to thank mark who tipped us off to the James T. <gasps> Kirk Straight Bourbon Whiskey available That's for right. pre-order at StarTrek.com. I have ordered us a bottle. I know because I saw the receipt come <laughs> in. <on email. laughs> Tell me about this. Uh, I don't know much about it except what Mark pointed us to, which is a page uh, that talks about Captain Kirk known for his bold spirit of adventure. Oh uh, and that's what this artisan small batch bourbon celebrates. So notes of caramel, Asian five spice and pecan is what they say. We'll see. 
you know, I am dying for some sci-fi writer to write about what it would like be like to mm. make bourbon in space. Mm. Be complicated. Yeah. How would you yeah. do it? You'd need to have it in a centrifuge or something. We could do it on the make it on the behemoth. No sunlight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Spin up the wheel. Put the bourbon on. All sci-fi fantasy writers listening to this, please get on this. I need some space bourbon. I feel like if anyone did, yeah. it would be James S. A. Corey because they are totally. really into they're into good good liquors, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Good coffee, good liquors, good food. Yeah. yeah, they like the finer things in life, which I appreciate. All right, well now we shall jump into the quick burns, and we're going to mix it up a little bit in this section as well. Uh, Tom, kick it off. Yes, uh, Nokomis.fl submitted this one, as did Phil, as did Tassie Dave, as did Trike, Richard, and Ed. Of course, everybody uh, was taken by the news that Harlan Ellison has passed away at age 84. He was a multiple award-winning sci-fi writer, best known for his short stories and his television scripts. Uh, City on the Edge of Forever, a Star Trek original series classic, was written by Harlan Ellison. He was a controversial figure. Not everybody liked him, uh, but he was talented. You can't argue with that. Absolutely. And then Mallory, why don't you read us about the uh, Locus Awards? Oh, uh, yeah, the Locus Award winners from 2018 just got announced, posted over at tour.com. Very, very exciting. Oh, yeah. John Scalzi won for The Collapsing Empire, which I still haven't read. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's really great. It's a, yeah. He's such a great world builder. Just a world builder. <laughs> and a burrito builder, if you follow True. his Twitter. <laughs> is, it, is it a burrito? A burrito. Is all of those things burritos? I don't know. The empire that collapses is a burrito empire. Uh, yeah, I was, I'm very happy to see that The Changeling by Victor Lavelle won for horror. Because I absolutely love that book. There were other books in that category that I loved. But I think the winner was uh, well chosen. Yeah, it was a good list this year. N.K. Jemison won for The Stone Sky. Uh, of course, she's a favorite of, of us and, and our audience as well. And Nettie Okorafor uh, for Young Adult Book with Akata Warrior. Yeah, she's a big Reading Glasses favorite. Uh, Bria is a huge fan of her. Yeah. Oh, and I actually, I loved uh, The Strange Case of the Alchemist Daughter as well. That was like, a really fun one. Yes, we loved that. That was one of my favorites that we've read in the past year uh, by far. I can't wait to read the next book. Uh, they announced it, but I don't think it's out for a little bit of time yet. I will say if I was a fantasy writer right now, I would be like, can, I, can we just wait till N.K. Jemison's released all those books? Because other, cause she's going to win all of it. Because she like wins, I feel like, right. every single award. Like You have to like, just hold on, yeah. you know? And there was a lot of really tough, tough uh, competition this year, especially in the first novel category, because The City of Brass was getting like rave reviews. And I haven't read it yet, but I've heard and, and we spoke to Annalie Newitz for Autonomous. And I, I've been that's been on my list for a long time. And of course, we read Un- Unkindness of Ghosts, which was fantastic. So, man, the competition is just like heating up. Good, good stuff. Yeah, it's interesting to see uh, Lincoln and the Bardo in that group, too, because it's like, Genre, 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 genre. Oh, literary <laughs> fiction. Hi. I, I think it's a crossover yeah. genre book because I feel like people who uh, like people who in, are into genre picked up Lincoln and the Bardo. I mean, I definitely did, and I thought it was great. I don't know anything about that book. Oh, it's about. Uh, it's very Abraham strange. Lincoln's son who has died. Yeah, he's in purgatory. Yeah, but you don't know he's in purgatory. It all takes place in a cemetery, and and it's uh, so. I guess there was this moment where Lincoln went and like comforted. Or went to his son's grave. This is like a documented event, and um, and cried at his grave, and it was very sad. And this is it's just all the ghosts around talking about that situation. That's like what it is. So it's almost written like a play. It's really interesting. 
Yeah, I was happy to also see Tor, one is a publisher, Tor.com, one is a magazine. I feel like Tor.com has really been revolutionizing the uh, face of genre publishing right now. So I'm kind of happy to see them get some recognition for that. I feel like we talk about Tor.com almost every episode. When yeah. someone wants a recommendation request for something that's a little bit different, we're like, have you, have you heard of Tor.com? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, yeah, tour.com is amazing. And in fact, a lot of our stories, even this week are, are from it because there's just always such a wide breadth of not only news, but also lists and upcoming releases. And yeah, they really cover all the bases. All right. Well, Mark says that author Richard Kadri has a demented and entertaining new project going called Pulp Sabotage, ruining your memories one book at a time. He's modifying and repurposing old book covers because why not? Have you guys seen this? It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love Richard. And like, I just got back from a uh, week-long break on social media and I spent like 10 minutes a day just going through all the ones that he had already posted. So funny. <laughs> I used to handle the Pulp Fiction section at Half Price Books in Austin, Texas. So I recognize a good 70% of these covers and the change titles and descriptions are just fantastic. Tom Swift and his electric gentrification gun, <laughs> my breasts ate my homework, <laughs> math for Phil, just Phil, you stupid piece of shit. <laughs> so good. my pr- so. my personal favorite was tinder photo oh yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> these like nobody these don't make sense to anybody because you can't see the covers but they are they're they're perfect there's also the the like sexy romance cover with the woman kind of hugging herself called bad clams <laughs> she's a cool girl hot for a free meal by the sea but none of her lovers yeah. guess she'd lead them to from good times to bad clams <laughs> oh it's so good richard is hilarious have you ever if you guys are listening and have never read his books definitely pick up sandman slim it's a great horror urban fantasy but it's also really really funny richard's hilarious yeah, I'm actually looking at Hollywood Dead right now. It's sitting in the corner of my room from that. I think that's from that series. Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. He's, he's fantastic. Now, Terp Kristen sent us a uh, update on Cockygate. Bria Mallory, are you familiar with Cockygate? Oh, from yes. your show. I know about it okay, from your good. show. Uh, well, apparently, there is a transcript from a court exchange regarding Cockygate. Uh, sh- should we reenact it? I think so. All right. Who no. wants to be the court and who wants to be Mr. Ruger? You guys are. No, you know, may, I'll be I'll be the court. I feel like I sound the most like a judge. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, Tom, you can be Mr. Ruger. Oh, OK, fine. I'm Mr. Ruger. Fair enough. Go. You present in your papers a bit about um, the only problem is I have trouble reading out loud, but which is weird because uh, <laughs> that's literally my job. Um, you present in your papers uh, about a dozen instances of prior use of cocky in the title. Bite, um, me, bite me cocky. Oh, shit. It's not. Bite me cocky, a little cocky, the cocky cowboy, cocky balls boa, described as a neurotic parody, <laughs> cocky cowboys, cocky swats, cocky, a stepbrother romance, Ooh. cocky, a stepbrother, oh, cowboy. a cowboy stepbrother romance, and so uh, Your on. Honor, if I may. No, you are out I understand, of Your Honor, but I penned the brief... And uh, there is an error that my client alerted me to this morning in the brief. Specifically, it is first one you just read, Bite Me Cocky, published in 2012. He has learned that that title may have changed as a result of the Cockygate sort of disputes. It might have been originally published as Bite Me and not Bite Me Cocky. I just want to point that out. Originally Bite Me, then it became Bite Me Cocky? Yes, Your Honor. That was our understanding. 
What's the explanation for the change? Uh, as a protest, effectively, that that is our best guess. Mallory, Mallory's over here just fucking up the computer. I don't know what's going on. She's too much alcohol. Click in. You do it. I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> there's, there's, there's chaos in the reading. Stop it. Stop it. Um, in response to the protests, he added the word cocky. Yeah. In response to cocky gate registrations. Yes. We believe the author added the word cocky as a protest. That is pure supposition on our part, your honor. We have only been doing this for about 48 <laughs> hours. Thank you, Terp Kristen, for the update on cocky gates. Those, by the way, you may not think it's true is an actual court transcript. Oh, Lord. All those words were spoken in court by a judge and a lawyer. Oh, to be a fly on the wall would have been amazing. Mm -hmm. Though I guess we get the next best thing, which is the transcription. Yeah, this Mm -hmm. is, uh, I hope, I'm excited for maybe some dramatic reenactments to to, uh, appear on the internet out of these ones. Absolutely, yeah. I would do that for free. I would do that, actually, uh, I would pay someone to let me do that. Publish (laughs) it on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) all right so tell me about uh reader advice so now it's time to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners uh sarah writes in uh this afternoon i was looking back through my goodreads and while a small handful of books i've enjoyed in the past few years really jumped out at me there were so many that i barely remember at all i do give star ratings on goodreads but i don't write reviews can you think of ways to better remember the books you've read other than writing a review? Mm-hmm. So we, on Reading Glasses, we'd like to, uh, listeners write in and they help us, let, let us help them solve their reader problem. So what do you guys think Sarah should do? That's hard because I have that problem myself a lot. I, I don't really write reviews either. I think really the way I remember what books I read is by going to the Sword and Laser Wiki. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which feels Sorry, like cheating. podcast. <laughs> get a bunch of people to fill out a wiki for you and then you're good. I, I can't tell if Sarah knows or not that there is the mark as read function in Goodreads. If if I'm misunderstanding and you didn't know that exists, then you can just mark things as read and then you know what you've read. I'm going to guess that Sarah's like, yeah, I know that. That's not my problem. My problem is remember what I think of them, like which ones are good besides the star ratings. Um <sighs> tough right that's a that's a tough one like if you're like yeah i've got all these four star ratings on all these books but i don't remember anything about them and i haven't written reviews that's that's a tough one i i make a lot of bookshelves and i've noticed that some people who are really good at goodreads have like a hundred bookshelves and they sort them by all different sorts of things so maybe you could have something like you know, a category for the genre or a category of like where you were when you were reading these books, you know, or all like sorts of things. Fun like and light, it. Yeah. Deep deep made me think stuff like that. Huh. Yeah. So for Sarah, if you're listening, I think what my advice, and I, I can't remember if I've talked about this on the show or not, but I, I have, I keep track of everything that I read in a reading journal. Cause I think for a lot of people mm. having to, if you're not a writer or if you're not comfortable with your writing, it might be a lot of pressure to, uh, to write a review that's going to be posted publicly. And also, like if you didn't like the book or if you have some sort of opinion that you feel like it's going to be controversial, you don't want to post it online. You don't want people getting upset. You don't want to upset the author. But if you get a book journal, like a physical book journal, or you can start your own on your computer, start a spreadsheet, start a Word document, and just sort of you know dash out a few things like, dog died, lady was stupid. <laughs> but, but the world was really cool. Just like a few short things 
really quick things that you, and you don't have to worry about sharing them with anybody else. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about them being seen publicly. Just a few, you know, key terms that like will jog your memory and it'll take you, you know, two minutes to do. I think that might help Sarah out a lot. I like that. Yeah, I think that that is good. I think that is definitely one way to go. I think my way to go would be if this, if I don't remember this book, I don't know. Screw that book. Like, <laughs> that book didn't make a lasting memory for me. So, I mean, I do, I do what you, what you said, Tom, I, I just learned this, that you can mark, mark things as read. So I've started to do that with stuff that I'm reading that I'm not like maybe as stoked about, but I have read it. The reading glasses listeners have picked up on. Yeah. I know sometimes they're like, Rhea saw you marked that as read, but didn't give it a rating. Um, <laughs> and I, I feel very called out. I've had, I've had a few people tweet at me and they're like, so Mallory, I saw you read this book and you marked it as read, but you didn't rate it. Wow. Nobody ever does that to us. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I've been caught. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I look, I mean, I have to, I can't keep up with, I can't catalog everything in my life. So I, I for me, I do, I do like, um, I uh, keep a reading journal as well, but I just give things like a more specific rating than you can give on Goodreads. Like I use, you know, A's, A pluses and B minuses. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, other than that, I feel like if I, if I don't remember it, it's not my fault. <laughs> I have, I have a reader advice question. Go. Okay. This is highly specific to people who have podcasts who uh, talk about books. <laughs> How do you review books when you're friends with a lot of authors? Oh, this is such a constant thing for us. Yeah. For us, it's really, really on a case by case basis. If I have a friend and I'm not going to name any names, obviously, but you know, just like you guys, we, we know a lot of writers, we know a lot of filmmakers. And if I haven't read the book or seen the movie, or I don't like the book or seen the movie, I just sort of we, on reading glasses, we do a, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. And just sort of hope that it never comes up. I do think it is very, it's very rare for an author or filmmaker to be like, Hey, have you read my book? What did you think? <laughs> People don't really do that. And if they are like, if you're, if they're going to solicit that, then I feel a little bit more justified if I didn't like it being like, you know what? You have. Yeah. I feel like it's more of a problem on Goodreads for me. Like I'm yeah. weird marking things like, cause you're right. The, the review system doesn't leave a lot of room for nuance. And yeah. so like, if you give something four stars, like this hasn't happened, but like, say I gave a John Scalzi novel, like three stars, because technically on Goodreads, three stars is it's good. You know, it's not like, yeah. it's not, didn't blow your mind, but it's good. But like, if John Scalzi saw that, I know he wouldn't, but I'd feel bad knowing that maybe he would see that. You never know with John, though. Yeah. He's a wily one. And I will say, like, bad um, example. When you're looking at Goodreads, though, if you saw a book and you were like, it has three, like an average of three star rating, would you not think that was bad, though? Because I would. I would I'd be too. like, I don't know if I'm going to read that book. Yeah, totally. I've done that. Like, I have so many friends on Goodreads that review things all the time. And if I see someone whose opinion I trust and they gave it a three star, like, that's still in my mind, like, a C. Yeah, it's an, it's it's average. Which who wants to be spending their time reading average books? <laughs> yeah, the, the five star system has been proven time and time again to be bad because essentially, if you don't give something five out of five, it's considered to be a ding. Even if you give four out of five, like we did a story on Daily Tech News Show about this kiosk system that restaurants are using, and if waitresses and waiters don't get mm-hmm. five stars, they get fewer shifts. Because it's good because like, oh, you must have been letting people down. So it really should be an up or down. Like that's what Netflix does now to create Mm -hmm. their ratings. That's what Rotten Tomatoes does to create their ratings. It's just make it up or down and then compile from there. I think even Foursquare does that. 
Yeah, Lit- mm-hmm. Litzy does that. If you're looking for an alternative book app to use, Litzy is like is either thumbs up or thumbs down, and you can just quote things without giving it any kind of review. This is why I like my reading journal because then I can have my own mm-hmm. personal review. I will say, and I will never reveal this under pain of death. <laughs> there is one friend I have that is an author, and I did not rate his or her or their book on Goodreads because I didn't like it, and I will go to my grave with that knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why, Bria, when I die, you have to burn all my reading. (laughs) Fair. I'll take that upon myself. In my will. Totally willing to do that. Bria gets all the books that she wants, but she has to burn my reading journals. Fine. Great. (laughs) Take it. We'll hold her to that for you. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are the backups. All right. Well, now it is, except not the backups, because we're not going to back it up. We're going to destroy it. (laughs) Oh, man, that would be a We're Bria's second. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, now it is time for Bear Your Sword and Reading Glasses email, which is our collective feedback from the audience section. And we're going to kick things off with a a tweet, actually, from Steve Beeswitch or Stev. I'm not sure how he pronounces Steve without an E. Uh, But he says, for the first time, I'll actually be reading along with Sword and Laser for their book of the month. I've never once read along with them, usually listening along for industry news and ideas for who or what to read next. This is the first time I'll be right there with them. Yes. Got it. Yay. B-Switch. Hell yeah. Steve, welcome to the club. (laughs) You just officially joined the ranks of cool people. (laughs) Yeah, he'll be reading along with two podcasts at once, too. Oh that, yeah, that is true. Steve, you're getting a twofer. This is the best. It's like a sale. It's like deciding <laughs> to go to the, to go to Home Depot for something when they have a two for one sale. And all right, and then the next. Do you guys want to do yours all in a row, or we can switch off? We only have one. Okay. Well, Tom, why don't you read this one because this one's addressed to you. The next one comes from Kent Archie, who says, Tom, I wanted to let you know you weren't alone in loving the Danny Dunn books as a kid. They helped reinforce my love of science and math. A series that took its place when I got a little older was the Rick Brandt Science Adventure series, kind of hardy boys with science. I never read those. Those sound great. I was looking at my pile of Dunn books and noticed I have some duplicates. If you're interested, I'd be happy to pass them on to you. Thank you both for this show and others that you do. I'm a patron of Sword and Laser and DTNS. I listen to podcasts at (laughs) 1.5. speed going any faster would require me to pay too much attention i love that you guys are going through this too because we just covered this uh i heard that really yeah yeah yeah, this is the veronica this is the hot topic the hot podcast discussion of the day (laughs) it's really a hot well because some people some of our listeners were in they do podcasts but they also do audiobooks Mm -hmm. and i started doing it because if i get my most of my audiobooks from the library and if I have it, like right now, I have two audiobooks that are due in a week. So I got to listen to them on 1.5 speed or I'm going to have to, I'm not going to be able to finish them. But you wow. got to train yourself up to that, you know? Yes. Yeah. You have to, you definitely have to work up to it. You can't start on 1.5. You have to ease yourself into it. And just, you know, I do not do this because I find it too hard. <laughs> it, is, it is too complicated. And I feel like I'm like behind. It like makes me feel like I can't understand anything. I hate it. I was listening to you guys at 2x speed what? have the conversation about <laughs> listening to audiobooks at one and a half x speed, just so you know. That'd be like listening to woodland creatures talk mm-hmm. about books. It'd be too, too fast for us. <laughs> I was very offended to find out that my husband listens to uh, my other show, IRL, on uh, 1.5 speed. And he's like, I was like, how can you do that? Like, you know what my voice sounds like. He's like, yeah, it took a lot of getting used to because now when I hear you talking, you sound really slow. <laughs> 
That's really funny. <laughs> He's like, oh, Brock, can you speed it up a little bit? That's right. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. At least he listens to your podcast, though. I think that that's like the nice thing to take away from our it. partners. Don't listen yeah. to our podcast. Neither, <laughs> neither of them. I think they're. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's about technology and he's a total like technology fanatic. So it makes sense. I can't, he, I think he listened to Sword and Laser once, which is, you know, mm-hmm. a little sad, a little hurtful, but, uh, he, he read, um, oh, Tom, what was the book that he read along with us recently? Oh, We Are Bob. Yeah. Um, he, oh, nice. he listened to the We Are Bob episode, which was exciting. All right. And then we have a comment actually on the blog from Irina on the episode Real Housewives of the Aegean, who said, have you guys read Lavinia by Ursula Le Guin, which reimagines the Aeneid from the perspective of Lavinia, the daughter, a short and smooth read that draws on the imagination. Your conversation about the gods and Circe resonated with some similarities on their standing in this book. Now, you both read Circe recently as well, huh? We yeah. did. We did a live book, book club um, similar to what you guys do, um, but with for just some people. For, no, we gave it to everybody. But it was people who gave to the fund drive for our podcast for, network. Yes. And so we had all of our fans vote. And it was really, really funny because it was the same month. We're like, oh, we're going to do a reading glass of sword and laser thing. It'll be perfect. And we're like, you guys are like, we picked Cersei. And we're like, oh. Shit. <laughs> it's like the one time we're actually doing a book club, a live book club. Um, but we both love Cersei and I love this comment of Real Housewives of Beige and that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we really are excited to see more and more of these retellings of um uh, mythology and uh classic ancient stories. It's really, really cool. I have not read Lavinia though, which is uh I, oh. I kinda wanna do that now. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Uh, so recently we had an episode all about reader health, making sure that your eyes and back and neck and various other parts of your body that you utilize to read are healthy. And uh, I had to admit to on the show about the fact that I have not once but twice sprained my ankle in a reading <gasps> accident. What? I was walking while I listened to that part and became very self-conscious that I wasn't going to fall down while listening to a podcast about reading. <laughs> It was a uh, long story short. I was reading for a very long period of time and my foot fell asleep and I stood up and stepped on my ankle instead of my foot and did oh, that no. twice <laughs> uh, within a year. Uh, but Colleen wrote into us about nerdy injuries. She says, Hey ladies, love this week's episode. Had to write in for two reasons. Bria, I've had distance glasses since I was eight and needed reading glasses since I was 25. So no shame in needing reading glasses at 36. I haven't gotten them yet. That's why I'm having trouble reading. <laughs> I can't read. Like I have to hold things like a weird distance from my I face. just had anyway. to do it a couple oh. years ago. It's I didn't want to do it either, but it does help. Can't I just go to a drugstore and buy like cheapo glasses? Isn't that a thing? You can, but then you have to figure out the right prescription yourself. And if your prescription changes, I don't know. Just make everything fuzzy. When we record the show now, we just make it in like... I just change everything to huge fonts. And Mallory's like, what is going on? I'm like, I just, I can't see it. I literally can't read it. It was the worst. I I, I finally had to stop like holding things super far away from myself. You know what I have to do? I just need to get close. My my eyes are different. um, So I'm nearsighted in one eye and farsighted in the other. So when I read at night, like with the Kindle close to my face, I have to close one of my eyes. But then you can do the look far away for 20 seconds much easier by just switching eyes. Yeah, you're like a a reading robot. That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, And Colleen also wrote, she says, Mallory, I may have you beat on nerdy injuries. And I'm very happy to hear from you, Colleen, because it makes me feel much better about myself. 
Uh, Colleen says, in high school, I was on our Reach for the Top team. I think they call it Academic Bowl or Quiz Bowl or something in the U.S. I can confirm (laughs) that it was the Academic Bowl because I was also on the Academic Bowl. Uh, She says, we were out at a tournament and I started getting pain in the hand I used to ring the buzzer. I had developed tendonitis in my wrist from the buzzing. When we got back to the school after the tournament, I got sent to the gym to get my wrist wrapped and went down in school history as the first academic injury. Keep up the awesome work, ladies, and always a pleasure to listen to on (laughs) 1.4 speed. Oh, my (laughs) God. That's a good one. <laughs> Colleen, I, uh, first off, high five for being on the academic bowl. I was also uh, very into it, but it makes me feel better that you were answering questions so hard. You yeah. had so many facts in your brain that you actually hurt your wrist. I feel not alone in my reading ankle injury. Wait, guys, am I crazy? Can you do 1.4 on on everything? Like, or is it that just, is she magic? I what, how do you do 1.4? I have no idea. I'm going to open up Overcast right now. Different podcast apps have different settings. I don't uh, think Pocket Cast does 1.4. I think it's just 1.5. But in the UK, maybe it's oh. just uh, maybe it's oh yeah. So Overcast, let's <laughs> you have like a scroll wheel, and it has different kind of like sections here. So it doesn't say exactly how faster oh. it is, but there's like one, two, three, four, five. It looks like it's broken up into fifths. So you could do 1.4 speed. Oh, you could. You could. Wow, wow. interesting. Huh. Maybe 1.4 is a sweet spot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any nerdy injuries, really, though I did. The worst injury I ever had is kind of more dorky. Um, I was playing tennis. Uh, I used to be, when I used to work as as a freelancer, I, I could play tennis, like, you know, at, at 11 o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. And so I was in the old ladies league and I was playing doubles with uh, some <laughs> 50 and 60 year olds, 50 is not old. Sorry. Just like, you know, the 60 and 70, let's say that. And uh, I ended up rolling my ankle, which I broke and then landed on my wrist and broke that too. And so I was just squealing, squealing on the floor and all these nice, nice older women came and helped me, but that was a little embarrassing. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep. That was a fun day. And I didn't even get the ball. Oh, oh no. Well, at least, I mean, it, the fact that you were doing some sort of sport, I feel like, makes it yeah, a little bit less Yeah, I basically never played tennis dorky. again, so that was uh, the end of that. <laughs> Reading is kind of safer, it feels like, maybe. Careful. As long as you, if, if you could listen to our episode, make sure you get <laughs> the circulation going in, in your feet, or you'll end up like me with well, terrible ankles. By the way, Insta correction, Pocket Cast can do 2.4. It can do 1.4. It ah, can nice. do any, any decimal place. All right. Yeah, good. Maybe, yeah, maybe Colleen discovered the sweet spot for I'll podcasting. try it out. Yeah. Well, speaking of dangerous things, let's jump into our book of the month discussion because there is some dangerous stuff going on in Mortal Engines by Philip Reeve. Um, Oh, yeah. Man. So yeah, yeah, this is we are a little bit early in the month um to talk about this. So uh Tom, you said we we were gonna do kind of a generalized discussion yeah, and so then because of our amazing super combo episode, uh we will do a brief kickoff of Mortal Engines uh by Philip Reeve for the people who haven't read it, and then we're gonna start talking about what we think about it. So we'll warn you when we get to the spoilery part. Uh, but we will also have a an audience contributed uh, what do we think about it a little later in the month as well? Perfect. Yeah. Sweet. So, Tom, do you want to read the book briefing? Uh, yes. As soon as I pull <laughs> it up. <laughs> so we do a book briefing for our patrons uh, over on Patreon.com. Uh, so we usually read that in the in the beginning of the of the book kickoff to to let everybody know what's up with the with the new book. Yeah. 
So if you, if you are a patron at patreon.com slash sword and laser, you have this at Patreon. Uh, Philip Reeve was born in 1966 in Brighton. He lives in Dartmoor now, wrote his first story at age five about a spaceman called Spike and his dog, Spook. Yeah. <laughs> He worked at a bookshop in Brighton, studied illustration at Cambridgeshire College of Arts and Technology, later at Brighton Polytechnic, performed in sketch comedy shows, uh, co-wrote The Ministry of Biscuits with Brian Mitchell in 1998, which is uh, described as a dystopian comic musical, uh, has provided comics and illustrations for multiple books and still does, but finally published The Mortal Engines Quartet between 2001 and 2006, Mortal Engines coming out in 2001. He began working on the idea for Mortal Engines in 1989, originally thought of it as an adult novel, uh, but then was sort of guided into making it a young adult novel. So he took out a lot of sections, uh, uh, some of the drier sections about politics and the world, which mm-hmm. I would love to read personally, but he tightened it up and, and made it a faster story and won the Nestle Smarties Book Prize in ages category 9 to 11 and made the Whitbread Book Award shortlist. I just say something, which is that I just recently visited Brighton and it was the coolest place I've ever mm. been. So it was like the coolest small town, beach town in England. Not relevant to the book, but I just think that it's important that people know he's from a real cool place. <laughs> nice. That's good to know. It's the hipster. It's the most hipster city in the world. What? I got voted the most hipster city in the world based on the number of vintage clothing stores, beer brewery places. Wow. like And Mason and, and Mason Drives and what? vegan places. Based on that combo. It is the most That's incredible. Wow. In the world. If you heard That's shaking, amazing. that is my the dog I'm puppy sitting, uh, Abby. She's uh, she's here in the office with me because she's scared of the fireworks. Um, so she's shaking her little head around. Oh. Um, if you hear meowing, one of my cats <laughs> furious, furious yelling. Oh, okay. <laughs> Very mad. That I'm That's so cats. Me. That's going to be my next podcast. That's so cats. Uh, last. Last bit of uh, kickoff before we get into the spoiler part. Uh, as many of you probably already know, a movie version of Mortal Engines, co-written and produced by Peter Jackson, along with Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens, and directed by Christian Roversis, is coming out December 14th of this year, starring Hugo Weaving, Hera Hilmar, Robert Sheehan, uh, and a bunch of other great actors. So check that out if you like the book, or maybe... Even if you didn't like the books, maybe the movie will be good. Too. It's coming out that far away. Yeah, I am very, very excited to see this uh, this movie. As soon as I was finished with the book, I went and watched the trailer, and I am very impressed. It's, it's the team that did Lord of the Rings, and it looks great. It looks super compelling. I After you listen to this episode, definitely go check out the trailer on YouTube. Guys, I didn't watch the trailer. I didn't think about it, and um, Mallory said it looked really cool, but I feel like the trailer might answer a lot of my questions that have to do with this book. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, that's, that's kind of a good place to kick off the conversation once we get into spoilery stuff should we should we jump into that yeah i don't even know if this is spoilery it's world setup stuff that i didn't totally comprehend and maybe like i read it too quickly um should he should i don't know maybe people want to fast forward no i don't think it's spoilery i think like i can say this but like because the premise of the book do you guys want to say what the premise of the book is oh yeah sure uh the premise of the book is that a war caused massive geological upheaval and led to someone installing huge engines and wheels on London, which had then happened to other cities mm-hmm. known as municipal Darwinism and cities race around, sometimes eating each other. 
Okay. So there was a war yeah. called the 60-minute war, and it was effectively a, you know, nuclear holocaust of sorts. Well, now you're getting into details. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> Oh, I don't feel like that's a, it's not, you could probably read that on the back of the that's book. That's in though, the trailer. Right? That's in the trailer. They talk about that. Yeah. Right. Also, can I point out that before we get into the discussion, I read a physical copy of this book and it's a put out by Scholastic and I started reading it and I haven't read, I don't read a lot of YA and I haven't read a Scholastic book in maybe 10 years and I'm sitting there reading it. And I'm like, why do I feel so nostalgic right now? And I smelled the book <laughs> and it <laughs> smells like, because it's a Scholastic book, it smells like my childhood. Oh. It's like the very specific chemical makeup <laughs> of Scholastic. Paper and ink smells like being in middle school. That's amazing. <laughs> I want to jump into spoilery stuff now. Can we, can we just do okay, that? Well, here's my question. Here's my here's my, my first question is that like, I don't know if I'm not creative enough or not, don't have a great enough imagination, but I cannot picture these cities eating the other cities. You gotta watch the trailer. Is that, will this be explained by that trailer? <laughs> Should I just watch the trailer you and shut think, up? You gotta think big. That is the thing that I had to wrap my head around at first was like, oh, this is a massive, like it really is a city sized vehicle. And so when it eats the other city, it's basically bigger than it and pulling it apart and pulling it into itself so that it can then disassemble it. It's it, They call it eating, but it's really just sort of bringing like a smaller spaceship into the big hangar bay of the huge spaceship and then pulling it apart. That's a really good example. It's easier to imagine you think that some of the cities that are being consumed and digested here are like the size of a neighborhood block. You know, right. They're, they're pretty. Some of them, the, the small ones are very, very, very small. Los Angeles could eat Encino. Yes. Yeah. You know, actually, the spaceship thing helps because I can picture that. But in my brain, I just kept picturing how huge London is. It's so big. And I, I mean, whatever. I, I'm taking the leap. I'm. I love science fiction. I love all this. I love fantasy. So all this stuff is like, I'm into the idea of it being like a mobile city. But it also is built up. Yeah, I got it. Listen, <laughs> I got it. I just like, I just like, it was so hard. I was like, but then it eats it. And like, there's something about that that my brain literally could not wrap around. So every time that happened, I'd be like, I guess I'm just going with this. I'm just going to keep reading because I just couldn't picture it. Like I wanted it to, I, I think I wanted maybe a little bit more of a like, are there jaws happening? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not totally sure the mechanics of it. And I know it's really not important to the story, but I like need to know but that kind of is. stuff. I had the same reaction at first. I was like, eating it? Well, How does I, it do that? I, does it have a mouth? Like, and then when they started to talk about disassembly, I was like, oh, okay. It's not. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> cool. They're not like, like crunching up the city right away. So I, I had the benefit, sure. I guess, of, of having seen the initial trailer before I read the book. So I kind of had that picture uh, of what Peter Jackson has imagined it to look like, like in my mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, London from a like square footage perspective is not going to be as big as London now. Uh, and it is built up into, I believe, seven tiers. So it's kind of like a layer cake where each tier is like right. housing different types of people or different industries. And so it kind of builds upwards and then is capped off by the cathedral at the top. Um, and so when it pulls in another city, like a city could be the size of like a few houses on, on, you know, on these like, traction like rotating wheels like a big tractor essentially and it kind of opens up its maw and like uses like lassos to to pull it in and then once the city's inside they make all the people get off the city 
or the town or the house or the suburb or whatever it is that they're consuming. And the people either become like indentured servants or or slaves or join the city. That part is kind of unclear. I think it depends on what type of city is doing the consuming. And so all the resources of that town are then absorbed into the larger city. And that's kind of why they call it like municipal Darwinism, because it's the the strong eating the weak um, and continuing their life forward. Uh, and and for, yeah, so I thought that was like, you you do kind of almost have to picture it in a weird way to for it to make sense. But the thing I got really stuck on was when they said, like, I think Speedway goes 100 miles an hour. Like, that's really fast for a city to move. Yeah. 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 So I did love, I, I will say, I did love the part where they took, I, and once they said they took in all the resources, I was like, that makes sense. Like, I understand the process of this and then also how, like, like futile that will be at mm-hmm. some point and how they're running out of things to do. And, like, that's such a fascinating thing where they're like, no, this is the way we live now, which is a really fascinating world to build where they're, they're, just like unsustainable, (laughs) completely unsustainable, but also like, so are a lot of things we do now. So it's not that crazy that that people would decide to start living this way for various, you know, future Mm -hmm. reasons, future reasons. So before I get into the thing that I really want to talk about with this book, I I just want to touch on the characters real quick. And it's told from multiple POVs, the main character. I mean, the book is right off the bat. The book is super fun. I really, really enjoyed reading this. It's definitely, it's like a sci-fi beach read. It's really, it's a, it's a, it's It's a a romp. romp. I don't use that that word very often, but it is quite a romp. The main character is fun. Uh, it's told from the point of view of Tom, which I just pictured Tom Merritt the entire time. <laughs> a young Tom Merritt. <laughs> oh, no. But he's supposed to be young. I just imagined a smaller version. You're youthful. You're youthful. <laughs> a small little Tom. Uh, it was so I liked him. I like Hester a lot, even though it was said that the whole wait, time. Wait, don't give any spoilers. We're not just spoiler part yet. Are we not in the spoiler part? Oh, we could, we could, we should put the flag like in the I ground did, right now yeah. and just right. spoilers. Yeah. Okay. I would, I was said that even still by the end of the book, Tom was like, oh, you're still ugly, but I like you now. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> All right, Tom. But I, I, I think, uh, now I feel personally responsible. <laughs> I, I, I miss your hideous <laughs> smile. <laughs> but I thought that the, um, for 2000, for, for a book that isn't being released right now, it was a, a pretty diverse, cast which i found interesting anna fang i liked a lot um the only the character i had the biggest problem with was Catherine because she was just so insufferable mm. to me i was just like really i liked Catherine the whole time she's just like i have a really this, and this is my problem because i grew up really poor so i have always have a really hard time with the trope of like the really rich girl who's like slumming it to solve a mystery yeah but she came from a poor past she came her parents were killed so she I came know. from this horrible past and then now and but then she's still like you know she, things go haywire and Kevin takes it into her own hands. I was like, excited about. Well, it. that brings me to the part about this book that I really need to talk to you guys about. And I was not—I don't read a lot of YA, so I was so surprised with how dark this book got. Yeah, right when she goes down in the guts, yeah, that's and gross. they're in the—they're eating the poop burgers, and I was like, they are literally. I'm reading a book. For, for teenagers here and they're literally killing people by making the they're, they're making people eat eat poop to death like that that one guy like i mean that whole death scene when she's down like in the depths of the gut or whatever it is and Catherine's down there with beavis uh <laughs> which i thought was kind of amazing oh, oh i've never by the way ever heard the name beavis not in butt with right, butthead, right? So it also is an unattractive name so the whole time i was like well i guess he's not cute 
Because like I just can't picture Beavis being a man I'm attracted so to. I, I, the audiobook called him Bevis, Bevis? which oh. meant a whole lot better. All right, that's a little bit better. That sounds more British too. Yeah, it sounds more, yeah, it sounds more sophisticated. So yeah, that yeah. was it made all the that was a really intense scene. But I also need to talk about this aside before I forget. I know we're kind of all over the place, but eh, whatever. So Catherine goes to this temple, and the goddess that she prays to is named Cleo. And I couldn't stop thinking, is this like, because she says Cleo's able to see into the future. Is that Miss Cleo? Because it's 2001. He started writing this in the in the early 90s. It absolutely has to right, be. It's Miss Cleo. I think that Cleo was spelled differently. I think that was C L E O. Yeah, but in the like, it's the future. They still. Oh, yeah. It took. I will say it took me an embarrassing five seconds before I, cause when he finds a CD, but he calls it a CD. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I love that. It took me half a second. I was like, uh, that's cute. I think it's way I cute. Get it. <laughs> So that was, but I agree. I was, uh, when I first started reading it, I didn't actually know this was a YA novel. And in the first chapter or two, I was like, okay, the writing feels a little YA right now, but then people just started dying. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is like, okay. I I tried to think back to like, okay, the Hunger Games is pretty intense. A lot of people die in that. Maybe that's just how children's books are now. It kind of is. I mean, Mallory said this when I came over today. She was like, it was very dark. There was a lot of death. And I was like, welcome to YA, man. Like, I feel like YA books are now like trying to one up with one up each other with like, and then we kill the main character. Mm -hmm. Like, that's like that because I read quite a bit of YA. And yeah, you can never tell when a sex scene or a death is about to come upon you with the way it just sneaks right up on you. Yeah. that I, That's what I sort of felt because I was reading it and I was like, all right, we're in for a romp and there it's t- sci-fi things are happening. It's post-apocalypse and all right, we're on an adventure. And it just got the darkness. I feel like blindsides you a little bit and you're like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah. I actually, one of the bits I highlighted was when Tom is so scared that he pees himself. Yes. And that was like something his his shame pee. And I was like, he like, I I thought that was actually really great because that's a human thing that happens to people. And you never read that in a book. I don't think I've ever really read that where a main character like pees himself with fear. Certainly not often. And certainly not in young adult sci-fi. Yeah, so I was I was kind of impressed by that, and and Hester, uh, to her credit, uh, I think she was an amazing character in her own right, and of course one of the one of the main leads. And we haven't really talked about her story yet, uh, but they they played off each other really well because he he was very multi-dimensional. Tom, I felt like he started out as being kind of like I want to be brave, and then he's like actually I'm scared shitless but then he kind of learns to that he cares about something enough to really find that inner strength to to make a difference and he does also i think we should touch on quickly uh the character of shrike and the the stalker man oh yeah which i found really 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 interesting it's one, probably one of the more interesting viewpoints on that sort of terminator-esque you know, robot man character I've seen in that, uh, the only, that was one of the only hand wavy things that I wish he explained a little bit more is how he got so much humanity and fell so deeply in love, not romantically, but with Hester and wanted her to be his daughter. And right away, as soon as they were like heart's desire, I was like, Oh, he's going to make her like a weird Mm -hmm. little robot. I know what's going on here. Uh, and it was kind of interesting to see how that dynamic played out. And it was very sad because like, 
much. Everybody dies in this book. But I would I would definitely read a Hester. I mean, I mean a Shrike um, autobiography. <laughs> like like <laughs> Shrike was like, I want to look. This is my old life. This is who I am now. Like I would. I was very interested in his backstory. I could have I could have known more. Was very interested in his whole world. And yes. it's kind of almost a Frankenstein monster type of deal because Frankenstein's monster wanted a wanted a partner. And that was uh that was like a main kind of driving point and, and impetus for his whole existence at, at one point. Um and that's kind of how Shrike feels too. And also his name is Shrike, so it makes me think of Hyperion, which is terrifying. The Shrike. Yeah which is like the scariest sci-fi creature to me like I've ever read in my life. So that kind of freaked me out a little bit too. Yeah, there were a bunch of those kinds of sci-fi references in here. And that's the only one that almost took me out of it because I'm like, oh no, the Shrike is super scary. Like you're not <laughs> Shrike. Uh, but I, I did, I wanted more of that that technology as well too. And maybe we get them in the sequels. Uh, it's hard to say, but without reading them, obviously. But um but yeah, I, I was fascinated by that idea that it wasn't just an AI who was not programmed to love. It was a thing that was no longer human and yet still felt something. And I wanted, yeah, I wanted to explore that more too. Yeah, I thought that that whole, uh, the Hester and Strike storyline was so, I mean, it was very interesting from a sci-fi perspective, from a story perspective. It was also really emotionally interesting to me. Some of the, um, like, one of my favorite moments in the book, and it was very sad, but it was just so, like, really, really compelling to me was when Tom was yelling at Hester after she's upset that Strike has been killed. He's like, you just can't, yes, you're not the only person in the world whose parents have died. You can't just sit around feeling sorry for yourself all the time. And I was like, damn that's a, that's really a really mature intense emotional arc to happen in a ya book and like this this like deep longing that she has to be like shrike and to not have to deal with her emotions at all because she's just so heartbroken and traumatized about the death of her parents that she just wants to be a robot person and i think i think we've all wanted to be a robot person in our time i will say that like in this world he is right that there is a good like 50 50 chance you're gonna end up with dead parents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like there's so many dead parents in sure the book. yeah yeah well, and 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 there's a mirror to that with Shrike too, where he wants to kill her because he loves her and wants her to be like him, and and it kind of exposes that that immature like, oh, I love you, so I want to change you into what I want, uh, and 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 what's it's it's an extreme example of that, but it's another one of those young relationship themes. Yeah, welcome to most of my past relationships. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't really talked about Anna Fang too, and the whole the Jenny Hanover and the 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 cities uh, in the sky. Um, what's the name of the city? Now I'm losing it. Uh, Airhaven. Yeah, Airhaven. Um, and yeah, that was one of my favorite, probably my favorite location in the entire book. It was mm-hmm. really cool to think about and kind of picture like, and, and then we see it a little bit in the movie trailer and you're like, oh, there's Airhaven. That's awesome. Um, but I, that would be the place I would definitely most want to visit, I think, um, would be Airhaven. Though I might get a little uh, scared of heights at that point. Um, but she was a very cool character, but almost a little too perfect in my mind. Like she was such a badass and so like caring and got them out so many jams and then she kind of like she duels to the death with valentine at the end and it's a really intense scene and it kind of gives tom and hester the the 
an opening into their own future because now they have the Jenny Hanover and they're able to kind of take control of their own destiny and not be tied to the traction cities anymore or being stuck on the ground. And so she makes this ultimate sacrifice, but I really kind of wanted her own story too, like a separate Anna Fang novel. Maybe we can get like a prequel of some sort, but she was great. Yeah, I I think that some of the most interesting world building was in her dialogue when she was just sort of talking and that that was an interesting thing for me to see Tom get all of this from the other because he grew up in this Traction City. And one of the main themes in the book is that uh, people who live in Traction Cities are really think that people who don't live in Traction Cities are barbarians and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of Anna Fang's dialogue was talking about how sort of stupid it all is and how, you know, it's, you know, she like towards the end of the book where they finally get to the big city that I can't remember the name of uh, behind the wall. Batmung Gompa. And um, he's finally seeing all of his views, but just sort of mirrored to look uh, to be what it would be like if he grew up in a traction city and she's talking to him and he's confronting her about all these crimes that she committed. And he was like, yes, but if I, She's like, yeah, I did all these things, but if I didn't do them, more people would die. Or you, mm-hmm. you need to start looking outward and your views and how all these consequences, like how everything that you do has consequences, and, and like these wars are not black and white. And that was that for me was one of the most interesting parts about the book was how nuanced it looked at war and people's prejudices, and it was uh, very very impressive to me for a for a for a romp. <laughs> and then we we kind of come to the ending and it it everything kind of coalesces very quickly there at the end. And kind of my my final question I guess on this is do we feel like Valentine redeemed himself at the end or was it a kind of a fitting closing to his story? Oh totally. Fuck that. Oh crap. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Screw that guy. <laughs> I think uh, I, I never am impressed with characters that only are like he, if it wasn't for his daughter, he would not have been like, oh, well, wow. What, what I'm doing is killing thousands and thousands of people. It was only because his daughter was mad at him. And he was like, oh, wait, maybe this is bad. But I do think characters like that have to redeem themselves. Like, I think we have to have redemption in these kind of stories or else. It's just like everybody, these people are all bad and these people are all good. And we need people to live in the area where they can change. Like, does he maybe deserve, you know, to be punished or die? Should there, if he lived, would there be some sort of like, like court held where he would be held to like his crimes, like post-World War II? Like, I mean, yes, I think that definitely. But I, I mean, I do think that like, as far as storytelling goes, I like to see characters have like some sort of redeeming moment. I'm not... I don't think he deserved death, but I wasn't sad that he died. Let's say that. Well, how about this? Could Hester have moved on if he hadn't redeemed himself in the end? Ooh, that's a good point. I think, yeah, that was the main thing is that I love that moment where Hester is is uh, about to, she, she has finally has her chance at the end to kill him. And she realizes that she can't do, it's more important for her to help save Catherine. And that was if even if I was happy that he was there, even if it was just to help her heal and see more of herself. Mm -hmm. And then I wasn't sad that he died. (laughs) Tom, what do you think? Well, it's almost like you have he has to die to make the equation balance. Right. Because you don't buy his redemption otherwise. Otherwise, it does seem too easy. Like, well, I, I should do this to please my daughter or things aren't going well. So I might as well switch sides. And it doesn't feel like it'll stick if everything goes back the other way somehow. So having him sacrificed, so to speak, 
rests the question. Yeah, I was. Uh, I think I was more surprised by Catherine's death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. Oh, uh, Catherine and Dog. I will yeah. not oh, forgive dog, you, Philip me? Reeves, oh. for killing Dog. Yeah, you know what? I feel like there needs to be like we we already had an episode where we we're like we're we're pro tr- trigger warnings, but I feel like you should you know let people know if the dog's gonna die right on the like put a little color like a blue sticker on the front of a book, but that just didn't need to happen. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I think about it this way: everybody in London died. So yeah. probably would have died. I, and I know this is unfair to Philip Reeve, but the common thing with pets, not humans, but with pets and stories is to make you think they're killed, but then show you they survived. So you feel okay. Broadchurch. I was just watching Broadchurch and they pull off that same thing where you're like, oh, did they really just kill? Oh, no. Okay. The, the, the dog is okay. And I thought that's what was going to happen with dog and it didn't. And I was really mad. <laughs> yeah, there was a moment where it was like the, the writing made you think it was going to happen. And I was like, oh, yeah. thank God. Cause I really cannot take a dog death. I can look, you can kill every main character and I'll be like, fine. Who, who cares? They're humans. They've, they've made their peace. But like, yeah, yeah when you kill a dog and it's too upsetting. It would have been pretty dope if Catherine went all John Wick on everybody after. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, the, that's the ending I want. Although I, I do think it was interesting that it was sort of, it seemed to me that Philip Reed was just clearing the slate that like that whole, that whole mindset needed to be cleared out. Yeah. You know? Uh, just the old way, even Anna Fang, Valentine, Catherine, Dog, that whole crew just needed to be swept away so that a new way of thinking that can actually save humanity instead of just kind of continuing with the, these like terrible, unsustainable, destructive ideas could continue. And is that, I, do you guys know anything about the sequels? Or I, no, I don't. I just wonder if that's what, I mean, like, obviously it centers around their story. Maybe they turn the Dog into the next Shrike. Oh. <laughs> I can read that. Like it's like a we three type incarnation of yes. dog. I'd be totally wet. Oh my on, gosh! I on want that, that happy note, I think we should wrap up our discussion. I want to leave on that because that gives me hope for the world. Uh, Call me Philip Reeve. I will help you write that book. <laughs> I mean, we could do this as a comic. We could do this as a, a like a spoken word, oh like like play. I don't know. Let's just make it happen. That's that's this is what I want in life now. How would we voice act dog? Oh, okay. you would just, yeah. just put an auto tune on a bark. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Like canine from, um, yeah. Anyway, from Dr. Who. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. We should do it again sometime. Wow. That sounds that kind of thing. unconvincing. That was, and it was no, weird because we did it the same, same way. Time. Like it was like both <laughs> unconvincing. No, we should definitely do this again. We yeah. are we're enjoying. Right, we don't talk about books specifically on our podcast, like specific books that often we so, more talk about broad, broad literary topics. Mm-hmm. So we would love to talk about a book with you guys. Yeah, we like talking really about books, fun. though. It's very fun for us. Fantastic. And thank you to everybody for listening. As you know, Sword and Laser is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Thank you so much to folks who back our show. And if you would like to help support us, head to patreon.com slash sword and laser. And if you want to find Reading Glasses, just type in Reading Glasses Podcast into iTunes. We're over on iTunes. We're hosted by Maximum Fun. You can find us on Twitter at Reading G Podcast, on Instagram at Reading Glasses Podcast. If you want to email us a reading problem you want us to solve, just email us at Reading Glasses Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, that's the best. The best way to support us is uh, subscribe and tell and give us a good review. 
You can also support Sword and Laser by buying books through our links at swordandlaser.com slash picks. And our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. You can find our group on goodreads.com. And our phone number is 4157-SWORD-6. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) We got in early on the Google Voice. That's how we did that. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thanks for reading. We'll see you next time. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.